0: let's pray together father God we thank you for a great day we thank you Lord for our moms we thank you for uh, the legacy that that they leave to us we pray Lord that you would teach us something today that would change us that would draw us nearer to the image of your son and we thank you Lord for the amazing music we've heard we thank you for these families with whom we share this day who celebrate your great gifts into their lives. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to celebrate the greatest gift of all, the gift of your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So I was awakened at 5.55, appropriately, this morning. And uh, it was a call from Dave Ray. And he and Jess uh, were at the hospital. And they have given birth on Mother's Day, appropriately, uh, to their firstborn son. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him... (laughs) in an incubator I'm sure by now and uh, so we are grateful we're grateful for them and for uh, their ministry here and I will not forget Caroline singing this morning wow what a great great gift seems like she's got some genetic help with that whole singing thing I don't know it just seems like that to me we've been talking about how to make disciples in our homes and we started last week just by talking about worship as loving God above everything else with all that we are all the time. This was what worship was about, that we would love God in that way, and that by worshiping in that way, we might be caught in adoration, and that our children might learn that as well. And I think in our musical last Sunday night, we saw something the way our children are learning not only to worship, but to lead us in worship as well. So that was a great opportunity. Uh, We talk about whys at Tallawood, worship, instruction, sharing, and evangelism as the way the church operates to make disciples. And we've now tried to think about that in terms of our home. So we worship at home by loving God. How do we teach at home? This week I've been thinking about the greatest teachers I've ever had in my lifetime. Uh, I think about uh, some, some great ones. And Mrs. Hergenrother, who when I was in the third grade taught me to spell. Basically because when I could write her name and spell it, Mrs. Hergenrother, then I was ready to spell. And then Larry Bennett, Mr. Bennett, we called him, who taught me Algebra 1 and 2 And also taught me how to catch trout out in a stream in Germany. So I have a great affection and love uh, for his uh, ministry and legacy in my life as well. I think about Mr. Robert Reed. Some of you know Robert Reed who taught history at Baylor. I was a history major there. And I took him for everything he taught. I wanted every class that he taught. He uh, somehow brought Greek and Roman history and Western civilization to life. He could stand and just for an hour and a half without looking at a note just teach us all of the stories and all of the things and really sort of bring it to life. One day I'm told he came to class and taught Roman history in a toga all day. I think that would have been memorable just to see him in a toga. and then. He told one of his classes, the day I give you a quiz will be the day I come through that second floor window. Because he was disabled, they knew that meant there would never be a quiz. But nevertheless, one day, he propped a ladder up, and he tapped on the window, and they opened it, and there he was, quiz in hand. I never uh, took a quiz from him except one day he came to class and he had a stack of papers and he said, I've come today to give you a quiz on your reading over Islam, but before I give you the quiz, let me let you ask some questions, and we all fumbled for our books and started scrambling and and asking questions as quickly as we could, and and when there was a lull, he said, well, you haven't asked me about this yet, and we said, well, what about that, and he said, okay, well, let me tell you about that, and he told us, and then he said, well, I need to give you this quiz, okay, one more question, I'll give you the quiz, and and we would would continue to ask questions, and, and eventually he said, well, the class is." almost over I need to give you this quiz and so we said one more question we asked him a question and then at the end of the class he held up that stack of papers and they were blank there had never been a quiz he was just teaching us that way that day and he was a great teacher those of you some of you had him he was a great great teacher of history I think of Wordus Gideon who taught me to pray just by the way he prayed before class and my life is formed not only by the understanding of the New Testament that he gave to me, but by the way he read people like Michael Parsons and Robert Sloan who taught me how to read the Scriptures. I am indebted to all of these teachers, and yet when I think of the greatest teachers I've ever had, I dare not leave out Nancy, Nancy Elizabeth Wright Brooks, my mother, who taught me a lot about life. Would you open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, Second? Timothy. Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at chapters 1 and 3, just a few verses in each just to give us a picture of how we can teach and what we should teach in our homes. 2 Timothy chapter 1, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, By the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And then in chapter 3, he picks up that story about how families transmit faith transformational faith in chapter 3 verse 14 after Paul talks about all the bad things that happened to him in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and how badly people are living and how evil men and imposters go from bad to worse deceiving being deceived Paul says to Timothy don't you be deceived but as for you continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed. And is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every. Good work. Thank you. You may be seated. We write letters for reasons, don't we? Sometimes we write thank you notes to other people just to say thanks. Other times we know somebody's discouraged and just drop them an email or a text message. Have you mastered that with your thumbs, the ability just to send a message anytime? Can you do that while you're driving? Please don't do that. There are just lots of ways to communicate in these days. It's interesting to figure out why somebody wrote a letter. Do you ever get a letter from somebody and say, okay, why did they write this letter to me? When you read 2 Timothy, you discover that it really functions as sort of a last will and testament. Paul knows he's about to go away. He's going to say in chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But before he goes... He needs to pass some things on to his son. He has uh, some things to offer to him. His son in the ministry, Timothy. You hear it even in the blessing where he doesn't just say grace and peace as he often does. But he says grace and mercy and peace. In other words, I'm leaving you, Timothy. But I am not leaving you empty-handed. I am giving you some gifts that you can take with you. I want you to know, he says, because Timothy struggled with courage sometimes. He was in a tough church in Ephesus. and, And it's as if Paul is saying to him, I just want you to know, if you're afraid, God didn't give you that. But God did give you power. God did give you love. God did give you a sound mind and self-discipline so that you could trust in him. And as soon as he says that, he says, I remember when you first trusted in God the first time you believed because that faith that lives in you first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And now, he says, I'm persuaded that faith lives in you as well. And then in chapter 3, he picks up the story. And he says, you learned the scriptures from infancy. Your grandmother and mother not only taught you how to trust, but they also taught you the truth. The absolute truth of God's word. I wonder who taught you how to trust do you remember the first time you ever trusted? Most of us can't even remember that. It sort of came naturally to us, likely through our family relationships, through a trustworthy mom, a trustworthy dad. We learned that people could be trusted, and we learned to trust. As Jesus describes it, if your child asks you for a, a piece of bread, you won't give them a rock. You'll give them what they need. And we learned to trust from those who are trustworthy. Where did you first learn the truth, to tell the truth, and to live the truth. I have been blessed in my lifetime to be taught the Bible by wonderful, loving Sunday school teachers and pastors who have shaped my life, men like Jack Pardee who, who baptized me, and then uh, Jim Hawkam who was the preacher when I surrendered to preach as a teenager who taught me something about loving people from the pulpit. I love the way that man loved people from the pulpit, uh, Larry Nixon who was so fiery when I was a freshman in college in Waco and then and then Paul Stripling and other preachers through the years have have shaped my life. But it was my mother who taught me to trust the truth. In fact, she taught me to trust the truth much as Lois and Eunice did simply by trusting in the Lord herself. I watched my mother live out her faith and when I read him say, "Your your grandmother and your mother had an authentic living faith." You just have to go back to Acts chapter 14 to see how remarkable that is. Because when Paul first arrived in Lystra, he found a man who was lame. Do you remember this story? And he lifted him to his feet and he healed him much as Jesus had done, and immediately the people in that town thought that Paul and Barnabas were gods and they were ready to offer sacrifices to them as gods thankfully Paul and Barnabas said no 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 that will not work but it wasn't long after that when uh, those who were chasing Paul Paul didn't know whether he was leading people or running for his life sometimes and the people who were chasing him from Iconium and Antioch showed up in the town and the same people who were about to offer sacrifices to uh, Paul and Barnabas decided to offer Paul and Barnabas as sacrifices and they threw rocks at Paul remember until he almost died they left him for dead but God God spared his life and he stood up and you know Paul, he went back to preaching again and just headed on to the next town. And it's remarkable that out of that darkness, there was a Jewish woman named Lois and her daughter named Eunice and, and Eunice had a son named Timothy. And Acts chapter 16 verse 1 tells us that, that Eunice, uh, Timothy's mother, was both a, a Jewish woman and she was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that Timothy's father was a Greek. And it doesn't say that he was a believer. And I think we can assume from the context that he was likely not a believer. And so what Paul will say is, you learned faith. This faith that you have. This faith was an authentic, he uses the word in in chapter 1, verse 5 there, an unhypocritical faith. That's the word in Greek. A faith that wears no mask. And this faith lived in your grandmother and your mother. That is, it made itself, the word means it made itself at home in them. No wonder Timothy found faith in the home because faith had found a home in the heart of his mother and his grandmother. And because they trusted in the Lord, then he also trusted in the Lord. Then in chapter 3 he will say this, this faith uh, is, is the faith that makes you wise unto salvation. He uses that same word faith to talk about what it means to be a believer. The word means two things in Greek. It can mean to trust, it can also mean to be trustworthy. I think both were true of Lois and Eunice. And when I thought about this in our church, I thought about a lady who's a teacher in our church. She's a great middle school math teacher. She's retiring in just a couple of weeks. And she taught math to countless kids who will bless her name when they take the SAT test someday. They will, they will rise up and call her blessed. But it's been our privilege not only watch her to be the mother to her three sons, But in some ways, she's been a mom to our kids as well. And I just asked her this week just to tell us a little bit about the way they practiced faith in their home. Watch this clip of of Debbie Bertrand, uh, the wife of our family pastor. You know, those uh, those uh, sons of of hers, Scott and Brad and Chad, are, were great students when they were in college. Uh, but the most amazing thing, as I look at those three young men these days, is the way that they walk with the Lord. And I love the way their parents uh, taught them to do that. And I love the word she used, we were trying to be intentional about that. I think we have to be intentional in this world to teach our children Uh, to trust God. And so we trust the Lord ourselves. I remember my mom uh, singing while I stood beside her in church. The one song that comes to mind is that song, uh, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus. And I remember her singing, precious Jesus, oh for grace. To trust him more. By trusting in God, we teach our children to trust. By being trustworthy, we teach them to trust. I I think every child needs a sort of stable home where they are loved and cared for. I'm watching Melanie every day teach math to Casey. And uh, the truth is, this will sound funny because Melanie's a CPA, but I actually love math more than Melanie does. I really, really love math. The trouble is, I'm not really good at teaching math to other people. I'm not good at sort of communicating that. And I watch her in her patience, and we're coming a long way with math. Uh, Lisa Doran in our church uh, has given uh, Casey some help with that as well. And her her teacher this year, Mrs. Corey, is a saint. I mean, she is an absolute saint. But I watch Melanie night by night sit down with her and work through those things with her. And I think that, that the real message of it for Casey is, and we say to her frequently, we are always going to be here, and we're always going to be married, and you're always going to be our daughter. And we're always going to share life together. And she says, and I'm always going to live here. I'm never going to go away from you. And we say, well, that may be, and that will be fine. But when we look at that, we remember the importance of being trustworthy people, not just being people of faith, but being faithful people. And that's what that word means when it says they had an authentic faith and a faith that was alive That's the kind of faith we want to pass on to our children. They not only uh, taught him to trust, but when we read in chapter 3, what we discover is they also taught him the truth. He learned the truth by means of their transmission. And you almost think when Paul is saying in verse 14, But as for you continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You almost think he's saying that he's talking about himself. Because Paul will often say to Timothy, that truth which was passed on to me, I passed on to you. But when he says how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, you realize Paul's not talking about himself. He's going back to chapter 1, isn't he? And he's talking about Lois and Eunice, a grandmother and a mother who invested the truth in this boy. They're beautiful works of art. I invite you to, to Google them, not right now, but sometime today. And just see, they're beautiful works of art that, that portray Timothy as a little boy. And I, as I watched Caroline this morning, I was just thinking, you know, at a very young age, she has already learned to sing. And not only to sing, but she has already learned to worship. And I suspect she has learned that, don't you suspect? In her home. She's given a gift of a a great voice. She's given a gift of great parents who love the Lord. And she's learning to love the Lord from them. So we learn to trust from our parents. We also learn the truth from our parents. And and not even though we learn the truth from our relatives, what we learn is that the truth is not relative. That the truth is absolute. So when he says you believe, then he goes on to say these things that you have learned and have become convinced of i say this because dallas willard in his little book knowing christ says we christians have conceded to the culture at this point because they will say and you hear it just just you know if you watch some of the afternoon talk shows i'm sure you do a lot of that but if you ever do uh you'll hear people say or late night or whatever you'll hear people say in our culture you'll see it written in newspaper in print well that's what you believe as if to say, well you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. So I'm going to believe what I believe and you believe what you believe. But, but when you read what Paul is saying, he's not just saying that you believed the scriptures but that you came to know them. We don't just believe. We know. We, we know the ones who taught us. We know the Scriptures. We know the Holy Spirit who breathed these words so that they became trustworthy and tried and tested and true so that we can trust them historically. Though many people would say, you know, Dan Brown made a lot of money on the Da Vinci Code and it's an interesting novel. It's really not good theology. And I'll tell you why. Because he it's not good history. He says, well, you know, up until 325 when Constantine said, well, Christianity is the religion of the Roman Empire, nobody believed that Jesus was divine. That would have come as news to Paul when he was writing only 15 years after Christ died and says Christ has appeared to 500 people there were people who could have stood up and contradicted him except there was nothing to contradict because it was all true these words are historically reliable they're also culturally reliable sometimes I read like you do and I read the book of Genesis and the great heroes of the faith, and I think, you know, sometimes they weren't very heroic in the way, for instance, that they treated women. I'm not always impressed with the way they bought and sold wives. I'm not impressed always with the the cultural sort of primogeniture where the oldest brother gets everything. You might like that idea if you're the oldest, but if you're third, like I am, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. And what's interesting is if you read the book of Genesis closely and always hold out the possibility that we need to read it more carefully carefully, when you read it, you discover, yes, it's true that those, uh, those early fathers of the faith practiced polygamy. But if you look at it closely, isn't it always a disaster? And isn't the Bible sort of subverting that, saying this is what the culture did, and they got involved with the culture, but it didn't work? And the primogeniture, you know, choose the oldest. Isn't it interesting how in every case God chooses the younger child? Not Cain, but Abel. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. Not Jake, not Esau, but Jacob. Why? Because God was subverting that practice. And so when the Scripture teaches something, you go, well, I just don't like the way the Scripture talks about that. Just hold out the possibility the Scripture is not prescribing that as the way we should live, but maybe showing us how we become cultural changing agents in this world. I love uh, when they ask Peggy Campolo, Tony's wife, what she does for a living. She says, well, I'm nurturing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might become instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia God envisioned from the beginning of time. What is it that you do, she says? <laughs> it's hard to compare, isn't it? It's important work, trying to teach our children the truth. In a world that says truth is relative, we hold to this truth intentionally. We believe that the Scripture is God-breathed, that it is profitable that is useful for for teaching for sometimes rebuking us because sometimes truthfully we need to be rebuked did your mother ever rebuke you i read judith your story about the the little boy and the little girl and they asked does your mom ever get mad and uh, one little boy said my mom needs to get mad if she held it in it would be really really bad and one little girl said never giggle when your mom is mad that only makes it worse And then one little girl told Judith Bjorst in this interview, she said, my mom took the plate away from my my brother, and the potatoes flew in the air. She said, well, tell me about that. What happened? She said, well, my, my brother's 11 years old. He's older. Michael is 11 years old, and he wouldn't eat his potatoes. And mom said, eat your potatoes. And he said, later. And then he waited a while, and she said, please eat your potatoes. And he said, soon. And so she said, please eat your potatoes. And he said, in a minute. And finally she said, eat your potatoes now. And he started to eat them. He said, I can't. They're cold. And that's when she took the plate and they flew into the air. Well, there are just moments when it's hard to be a mom. And we sometimes need to teach and to rebuke and to correct and to train in righteousness. That's the end. That we might be, verse 17, thoroughly equipped. So we'll have everything we need to do everything God Wants us to do. How do we do that? By trusting in Christ. Lois and Eunice did that well. By teaching the truth. And we teach the truth by living the truth in our lives. I don't know if you've seen the Broadway uh, play, uh, Raisin in the Sun. It's a fabulous sort of uh, picture of a wonderful, godly mother who's trying to help her adult children. And one of the adult children, a daughter, is sort of skeptical and she says, Well, God will help you. The mother says, Well, God will help you. And the daughter says, Mom, God is just an idea. It's an idea I don't believe in. There is no blasted God. And her mother looks at her with a, a smile of love and gently says, Repeat after me. In my mother's house, there is still God. In my mother's house... There is still God. My brothers Dave and Dan moved my mother, Nancy, recently into an independent living. She's turned 70 years old this year. That's not why she moved into an independent living. But anyway, they moved her into this place. And there was a lot of you know, deciding what goes. And I haven't been up there yet to see what actually made it into the house. I think there were 140 porcelain dolls. And, uh, and they didn't all get to go into the house, which was a bit troubling. It was a bit troubling. And um, my aunt called me and she said, I can't believe that all the dolls didn't move into the guest room. Those dolls are like her children. I said, no, Aunt Alice, I am like her children. Those are like her dolls. And, um, but I think we've weathered that. But I was just thinking, what will it be like when I get up there? You know, will, will there be the grandfather clock? Because that's kind of home base for us. Then my brother who can paint paintings, though I cannot write my name legibly, will his paintings be there? Because they've always been there. What will make that place home? And it occurred to me when I heard that story this week. In my mother's house, there is still God. And I learned from great teachers and great preachers who loved me and taught me the truth. But when I was uh, eight years old and I knelt down beside a green bedspread in the the middle of the three beds in our two-bedroom apartment on the third floor in Schroelbach, West Germany, none of those guys were there. Larry Nixon wasn't there and Robert Sloan wasn't there and all those men who have taught me so much but she was there, Nancy. And I suppose that's why she's the best teacher I've ever had. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you, Lord, for godly mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and neighbors and church members who teach and live the truth. Lord, our lives are better and richer because they have taught us. Help us, I pray now, to respond to the truth of your word.